If you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we're going to start today, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And just to let you know, um, we do have some special speakers coming up. Pastor Dalmas is going to be speaking on the Sunday after Thanksgiving as well as on the 11th of December. Um, and again, in January. So um, he's going to be speaking. I'm going to be speaking. Then we're going to have our Christmas musical coming up for the adults on December the 18th. That's the Sunday before Christmas. And um, what that, what's going to happen at that service is we're going to do the, the, the entire musical, both services, on Sunday morning. All right? So if you're wanting to come for, to the Christmas musical, it will be on Sunday morning. And then just to kind of give you an update on what's going to happen on Christmas. Because if you didn't know, Christmas is on a Sunday morning this year. Right? Yeah, some of you are like, ugh. And some of you are like, yay. And there's always those two groups of people. So we are going to do a Christmas Eve service um, as well as a Christmas morning service. We're going to do one service each, and they're going to be the same service. Okay? So what we're trying to do is get you, for, for the people that love Christmas Eve, come on Christmas Eve. Enjoy your Christmas Eve service. If you love Christmas morning, come on Christmas morning at 9 a.m., one service, no life groups that morning, and enjoy that one service. Okay? Same service for both of those. So if you want to come to both, you're more than welcome to. Uh, on Sunday morning, we were, we were, as we were thinking and planning, we're like, this could either be the biggest service Harvest Time's ever had, or nobody will show up. Right, because it's Christmas morning, and, we, and we're just not sure which one it'll be, so that's why we thought we would try this and see how it works this particular year. So one service Christmas Eve, one service Christmas morning, and they will be identical. We will be doing candlelight on Christmas morning as well, so if you're looking for that candlelight, it's going to be at both of those services, okay? First Timothy chapter 6. For the last several weeks, we've been going over the life cycle of discipleship here at Harvest Time Bible Church. Remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus prayed for you and for me that we would be sanctified, that we would be set apart, that we would grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. And what that means is that we become more like Jesus and less like the world. And there, there's several parts of salvation, but, but we wanted to focus on first justification, the fact that when God views us, after we give our life to Christ, he views us as holy and just. And positionally, he, he, he declares that our sins will, will not be held against us anymore. It is something that he does immediately at the moment of your salvation. But there's another part of your salvation that is more of a process. It's called sanctification. It's where we step by step become more and more like Jesus. And that's the part that most of us are struggle with. Moment by moment, it's this internal battle between the Holy Spirit that has made us alive in Christ, the part of us that wants to do the biblical right and correct thing, to live according to the word of God. And yet, there's still another part of us that still desires to do that old stuff, that wants to walk like the old man. And the Bible tells us that that battle between the old and the new is something that every follower of Jesus will struggle with this side of eternity. Now, we have to look forward to something called glorification. The moment we leave this world and enter God's presence, he finishes that process instantaneously, and we are, from that point forward, not going to struggle with sin ever again. Are you looking forward to that day? I know I am, because the struggle is a, man, I get tired of the battle, don't you? 
The, 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 even Paul said that while I'm doing good, the evil is there with me. And even though I have a strong desire to do right, sometimes I do that which I know is wrong. And he says, Lord, deliver me from this body of death. He has a yearning for that glorification moment. Do you yearn for that glorification moment? In the meantime, we are here cooperating with the Holy Spirit, working with God to live a life more glorifying to God, the process of sanctification. So at Harvest Time, we believe that in order to engage in that process, there are several things that we as a church want to do together in order to help one another along that process. Step number one that we talked about was gathering, to gather together. The Christian walk was never designed for you to do it on your own. You were never designed to live the Christian life and to try to stop the sin, to try to do all the stuff that's in the Bible on your own. In fact, the biggest lie that Satan tries to convince people about is that my Christian life is just about me and that I could do this solo. Now, don't get me wrong. Your Christian relationship with Jesus Christ, your salvation, is a personal relationship. But the living out of that relationship needs to be done in community because we need each other. I need you. You need me. And you need the people around you. Because living the Christian walk in this world, if you don't have fellow believers in Christ coming alongside you, can be an incredibly lonely and difficult place. Many of you live and work in environments where there's not another Christian around you. If that's the case, and you are surrounded by the world, and all the things of the world are pushing down on your flesh, and then we spend our time reading and listening to things of the world, your flesh will have victory over the Spirit. And how you live, you'll find yourself doing things you never imagined possible when you take your eyes off the Lord. But when we are together, and we are opening the word of God together, and we are lifting our voices together for the cause of Christ, the Spirit in me bears witness to the Spirit in you. And there are times that we can speak biblical truth to one another, and we can remind each other of the journey, and there are times when we will call each other out when we're going the wrong direction because we are family, and that's what family does. And there are times, though, when, when you're going to be the one that has to step up and understand the word of God and speak to somebody you love in love through the teaching of God's word to help them go on their way. And sometimes somebody's going to have to call you out. And that's what family does. There's a world of difference in a family. Like if my kids are absolutely convinced that I love them, then discipline is well received. But when my kids aren't absolutely convinced that I love them, then discipline can be rejected. So when we are in the church, the first step that God has laid out for all of us is to love him and to love people. To love people doesn't mean to accept everything that they do. In fact, loving people sometimes means you're going to confront them face-to-face -face with biblical truth. That's what the Bible states. So when we are going through that process of gathering together, yes, it's about corporately opening the word of God, lifting our voices to praise God, being encouraged. When you come into a service like this, it's not just about sitting in a pew and being fed. It's about who you can step out of your comfort zone and encourage 
to remind each other of the hope that we have, even as the end times approach. Because we talked about the reality that as we get closer to the end, it's going to be easier and easier to get discouraged. And I see it all the time where people are just absolutely terrified about the things that are going on in the world around them. Never mind that the Bible has already said all this stuff's going to happen. In fact, the scripture even says that what, when we read last week is remind each other of this because Jesus in his prayer and, uh, and, and when he warns people, he actually says that I want you to know that it's coming so that when it starts, you can encourage one another and you can have hope in Jesus Christ. Because the world, the Bible does say, guys, that stuff's going to happen, that if you are living for Jesus, there is going to be persecution. Now, we were discussing this in, in, our, in one of the staff things that I did this week in one of my life groups. The reality is that many of us have suffered some for our faith, but as of yet, we have not had to surrender our life for our faith. There are many in the world today who are participating in church without freedom who live under the fear that somebody could break in that day and cart them off to jail or even kill them for showing up in their, in their churches on Sunday morning. So when we begin talking about suffering for our faith, I'm here to tell you that we as an American church, as of yet, have not really known persecution. But that doesn't mean it's not coming. The question is, are we ready because the scripture says that it is the biblical truth that when that persecution does come, will enable us to not give up hope. Guys, we, we lost hope. Some of us lost hope because of an illness. Some of us lost hope because the weather gets too bad outside and we don't think we can show up to church because it's too rainy. And yet, when the time comes... The reality is, is that there, may, there will come a time, the Bible says it, that throughout the world, when you name the name of Christ, it may very well cost your life. Are you ready for that? And are you ready to do it not with a sense of dread, not with a sense of, of fear, but a sense of joy in the fact that we have been called worthy to name the name of Jesus, even in a world that hates us? The struggle that we sometimes have is that the things of this world are so bright and shiny and distracting. And we believe that, we, we buy into a belief that there is some kind of prosperity that is supposed to come along with following Jesus. But if you have met followers of Jesus in some of the poorest nations of the world, their faith is incredible and they have no signs of external wealth. None. And I'm telling you now that if you are in the United States of America and you have a home and if you have more than two cars, you are some of the richest people in the entirety of the world. No matter how you compare yourself to anybody else around you in our country, you are wealthy. And the day, there's all kinds of scripture that we're going to read today that talks about the difficulty of maintaining and, and walking and with the Christian life in, the, in spite of having wealth. So gathering together is about reminding each other where there our hope truly lies. Number two, growing together. You can't encourage each other from the word of God unless you know what the word of God says. You can't. 
And if you don't know what the Word of God says about all of this stuff that's going on in the world around us, as far as things getting more and more sinful, the heart of the evil heart of men coming to the surface, the Scripture says that not only will people practice sin, that they will congratulate each other and throw parades and 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 celebrate the sin of other people. All of these things have been shared in the Word of God from the very beginning that we are seeing around us right now. And if all we do is look at the world without biblical context, you will lose hope. It will just happen. Because the hope that we have comes from the way that we know it ends. And the fact that despite of Satan thinking he's winning right now, in in, in reality, he's already lost. He has. And we've already won. Jesus died and rose again so that we can have a relationship with him so that sin can be conquered. And so at one point, we will win. And it's already secured. What growing together means is we get together, we open the word of God together, and we remind each other of what the Bible says so that we can have hope. Could you use some hope today? If you're looking for hope, open the book. Read it together. Challenge each other. Another thing that happens when we get together is that there are times when we read the book, the the word of God together, that the Holy Spirit speaks to somebody that might be sitting next to you. And they share something that's on their mind or their heart, and it will minister to you. Somewhere along the line, we, we bought into the lie that only pastors have the right to open the word of God and share the truth in it to other people. Guys, that is not the truth. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, which we believe, if you're a follower of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit has moved into your heart, all the knowledge and power of God exists inside of you for understanding this book. And we put a lot of emphasis on book knowledge. We put a lot of emphasis on head knowledge and all of those things. But that, and those things are great. But some of the best pastors, some of the best teachers, some of the best disciplers in the world never stepped foot in a seminary because they had the Bible and the Holy Spirit. My question to you is, do you discount your relationship with God to the point where you think that God couldn't possibly minister to you through the word of God in your own time? Everybody needs to open this book. And we need to do it together. And we need to discuss it together. That's the whole point of these learning life groups that we talk here. We grow together in our knowledge, but there are times also when we begin to think, well, I know something here, and somebody calls us out about that knowledge, and they're like, you know what? That's not in the Bible. That is the whole point of gathering together is to open the word of God, to hold each other accountable in in our study, but also to be able to minister to one another in that process. You need to know what the Bible says so that if a pastor or a TV person speaks from the word of God and they say something that it doesn't say, you will know when it's wrong. And you need to call whoever is speaking out on it if it's not from the word of God. And yet if you do not know what it says, how can you know the difference? The scripture says, if you believe the Bible, that in the last days there will be more and more false teaching. They will be teaching things that we want to hear, that maybe fit our political world, that, that maybe fit our, our desire for money, that may fit our flesh patterns. The scripture says that they will tickle our ears with what we want to hear from the word of God. And we need to be able to tell the difference between truth and a lie 
And yet for many of us, I remember talking to a teenager once, and they, they brought up the idea that this um, pop singer was a Christian. And I'm like, well, why do you think he's a Christian? Well, because he thanked God in one, of his, in one of his speeches. And then he began to share things that this person had said, and what this person had said were completely in opposition to what the Bible had said. You know, the scripture says that just because somebody believes in God does not mean that they are a follower of Jesus. In fact, it says that even the demons believe in God. And they tremble. So it's not about even naming God as somebody who influences your life. It is truly about holding each other accountable to the word of God. But number three in our process, we want to gather together for worship. We want to grow together in our knowledge of God. But number three is we want to give together in our community life groups. Now, giving at, at church has kind of come under a bad rap. We kind of think that churches, um, many churches do, probably ask and want nothing but your money. But honestly, giving is far, far much more than just a financial thing. Uh, we are supposed to be giving our time, our energy, and our resources to one another for the benefit of the body of Christ. If you have been blessed with money, then absolutely God has called you in the scripture to be a giver, to give to the church, to give to other ministries, to give to one another, to meet the needs of those within the body of Christ. If you are somebody that has a lot of time, you're supposed to be volunteering for the cause of Christ, whether that be at church or other organizations in the community. There's all kinds of ways to give of your time, but there's also uh, your energy. We have a limited amount of energy in our life, but we are called to surrender that for the benefit of each other in the body of Christ. And at Harvest Time, we believe that community life groups are the way to do that. Now, let me clarify what those are before we read in our scripture here. What we do is we, we, when Christians get together outside of Sunday morning and just get together to either serve or to fellowship or to even open uh, the word of God for other purposes, we call that a community life group. It is basically you not doing your life alone. It's not necessarily required that you get together for another Bible study. It's not necessarily required that you get together to do anything but have coffee. But we believe that outside of Sunday morning, we need to have relationships with people in the church, people who are followers of Jesus. Now, where do we get that idea from? Well, we're going to read a couple of things here that I think will help us with that. Second Tim, I mean, sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 7. Give of your time, energy, and resources. Verse 3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we, can take, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves 
with many pangs. So you may ask yourself, what does this have to do with giving of our time, energy, and resources? Our natural desire with our time, energy, and resources is to hoard them for ourselves. It's my money. It's my time. It's my resources. And the more that we, that we hoard those things for ourselves and believe that these things are for me and for my consumption, the scripture says that we can be led astray by false teaching because it will tickle our ears for the desire of those particular things. He says anyone who teaches a different doctrine is something that we need to, to understand is happening around us. He, he actually says you need to be able to go back to your, to your learning life group, which you're gaining through the teaching of God's word, so you can tell the difference between good teaching and bad because one of our natural tendencies under bad teaching is to seek out and to, to desire financial gain. Now notice he says that, that he doesn't say that money is evil. Nowhere in the Bible does it say Money is evil, but the love of money is truly evil, and the love of money has crept into the church. I'm not saying harvest time. I'm saying in the church as a whole, if you, if you have watched any televangelists or anything else, people have begun to marry the gospel of Jesus Christ to financial gain, which, which is incredible to me that they could read a passage like, First Timothy chapter 6 and think that's a great idea because in reality money resources and time are tools that can either be used for God or they can be used for personal gain and unfortunately many of us choose to use our time energy and resources to feed our flesh it's about us and what we want how do we know if this is happening to us verse 4 he, this person, if they're, if they're falling under the love of money, they are somebody who has become puffed up with conceit. They understand nothing. They have an unhealthy craving for controversies, for quarrels about words. Which, and, the, and these quarrels produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions. If we have our right relationship with God and a proper understanding of what finances are for, what the scripture is telling us is that those tendencies for envy and deceit and slander and all of those things can be curbed. There's a constant friction among people around money because people who are focused on money are depraved in mind and deprived of truth. They imagine that godliness is a means of gain. As a side note, I'm afraid that those of us who are evangelists, or which is supposed to be all of us, by the way, you're all evangelists. You're evangelizing something, whether you know it or not. But we're supposed to be evangelizing for the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I'm afraid that many of us have done a poor job of evangelizing because we have added a sales pitch to the gospel of Jesus Christ that somehow says that if you give your life to Jesus, that all, everything will come together and everything will be better and your, your finances will come in order and you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And we make promises that the word of God never stays. In fact, the word of God says that the idea that godliness is a means of gain is a form of deception that comes from people believing that the money, that money is their 
purpose in life. Now, again, let, let me clarify this. Money is not evil. To me, it's a tool that God uses to, to encourage his kingdom, to build his kingdom. In fact, I personally believe that the, because the United States of America, as evil as it is, is still the number one financial supporter of world missions, that God is going to continue to use the United States in that purpose. Because more money comes from the U.S. to spread the gospel throughout the world than anywhere else. And, they, and for that reason alone, I think God is working in the United States of America today. But that doesn't mean that there isn't values in our country that are working in direct competition and in opposition to the word of God as it pertains to money. Your life is not about obtaining money for yourself. We are called to work, to do good, honest work, to earn money, to support our family. But in the end, it isn't to be about something we love and maintain for ourselves. Verse 11. Talks the, describes the difference between somebody whose priorities are messed up because they love money versus somebody who is living for God. Verse number 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee the love of money. Flee the love of possessions. Flee the love of stuff. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, Fight the good fight of faith. In other words, fight against your flesh. Fight against the forces of darkness. Cooperate in your process of sanctification. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. He takes a moment to say... For many people, money and stuff and resources is the priority. You're a follower of Jesus. Your priority is the kingdom of God. Number one, your priority is the good confession, the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ. The very thing that brought you to faith in Jesus is the priority of your entire life. To, to share what Jesus did for you with other people. To live a life that is glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ because of what he has given to you. And that overflows from your life into every area. From your work to your school to how you live your life and your family. All of these things become about Jesus and what he has done for you. He, he reminds us of what our priorities should be. And then in verse 17, he says this. As for the rich in this present age, I charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18, and I'm, and I'm just going to tell you before I even read this. If you are in this room... You are the rich, according to what is going on here. I know you might not think you are compared to other people in the country, but you are. This is what he says. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, 
thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Have you wondered what your life is about? If your entire world and life is about obtaining stuff and resources and energy for yourself, you will miss out on what life truly is about. But if you understand that your life is about Jesus Christ, even if you are somebody who is wealthy and making a lot of money and understand that all of that money that has been, you have been blessed with is about a, being a tool for the cause of Christ, then the scripture says you will truly have life. I love what it says in verse 17. Go back to 17 with me and read it. Ask for the rich this present age. Charge them not to be haughty. Number one, if you have a lot of money, one of the biggest temptations about having a lot of money or having money at all is that you find yourself being arrogant about it and judging people who might have less than you because they don't have as much. And that is a struggle that each and every one of us needs to fight against because no matter who the people are around you, God has given them value. Whether they have a lot of money or a little money, they have the equal value in the kingdom of God. And if you have more, then you have more responsibility to use your finances for the cause of Christ. If you have more time, you have a responsibility to use that time for the cause of Christ. If you have resources, you have more responsibility to use the resources you have been blessed with for the cause of Christ. And if you have money, the biggest warning here is to not set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Have you watched your 401k lately? If you have one, is there anything more uncertain right now than planning your future on money that may or may not be there in your retirement account? If your foundation and your hope is tied up in that alone, you will lose hope. And he says, listen, he's, he, look, you notice he didn't condemn riches anywhere. Nowhere in this entire passage does he condemn money. Nowhere in this passage does he condemn people who have money. Everywhere in here, he just says, if you have money, you have more temptations. And the idea here is that you are not to find your hope in your bank account, in your retirement account, in your abilities, in your physical bodies, in your family. No matter what you have been blessed with, your hope cannot be tied up in those things. Because if it is and you lose them, what happens to your hope? It's gone. But if your hope is in Jesus Christ... Wealth comes, wealth goes, friendships come, friendship goes, jobs come, jobs go, people that you are married to, you love, pass away, but you still have hope because you have Jesus Christ in your life. What does this have to do with community life groups? Well, again, we need to be fellowshipping with people from different stations in life with people that have differing perspectives on different issues so that we can remind each other what truly is important. What's truly important. You see, we as followers of Jesus should be some of the most compassionate, loving people in the world to people that are different than we are. People from different socioeconomic backgrounds, people from different racial backgrounds. We need to be continually reminding each other of what our commonality is and what the truth of God's word is. We are to share with one another. 
And I'm going to say this. Harvest Time has always been amazing about sharing their financial stuff with one another. I mean, we just had Operation Christmas Child. We're getting ready to go into the We Care gifts. All of these things are coming up, and you guys are always so generous. We are so thankful for your willingness to be generous. But I also know that I've been told by some people that they don't have to ever tithe because they give of their time. I've had people tell me that they have more, resor- they have more resources than time, so they're not going to give their time. They're only going to give money. And what we need to understand is that whatever we have been given... Number one's priority is to use it for the glory of God. Number one priority. And we are to give proportionately to the causes of Christ. Reality is, if you have more money, you're going to give more money. Because that is what God has called, one of the things, the responsibility that you have is to give according to what you have been given. If you have less money, you'll be giving Less money quantity-wise, but it's not about the quantity. It's about the heart behind it. It's about the surrender that we have, the willingness to give of our finances, our time, and our energy to the cause of Christ. And I'm not just talking about the harvest time, people. I'm talking about the reality that we need to be supporting the gospel cause throughout the world in all kinds of different ways with our time, our energy, and our resources. You need to be serving in the context of your church somewhere. You need to participate in service. For some of you, that's being in the choir. For some of you, that's serving in, over in Awana. For some of you, that's teaching a life group. For some of you, that's running tech. For some of you, that's being on the worship team. For some of you, it's coming on Thursday mornings with the, with the retired guys and doing work around the church. But the reality is, is that if we turn really quickly, I've got one more passage for you to look at. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're not going to have time to read the entire passage today. But we are going to, to, to read the beginning of it. Because when the church is fully functioning at its best, it's when every follower of Jesus recognizes what their gift is and uses it for the cause of Christ. Scripture says in verse 11 of Ephesians 4, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity, the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of faith. The reality, skip down to verse 15, we are to speak the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, from whom the whole body, joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What does that mean? Somewhere along the line, we believe that the most important parts of the body are those who are on the platform teaching. And as long as we have that, we're okay as a church. Not the truth at all. The scripture says that the body is only at its best when every part of the body is using its gift to build other people in the body, other parts of the body up. When we cooperate together and do things for the cause of Christ, when you use a gift that maybe you think is not as important as other gifts, when you're using that gift, it benefits the body as a whole. And every one of you has a gift that the body absolutely positively needs. So the question is not whether you should serve. The question is, how will you serve? How are you using your time, your energy, your resources for the cause of Christ? 
We've already learned from the previous passage that the danger of having stuff and all this, and it's all pointed inward to ourselves is that we become more and more self-focused. We become selfish. We become haughty. We become all about us, and we feed our flesh with all the gifts that we have been given. And, he, and, 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 and Paul warns us, don't let that be true of you. If you have money, if you are wealthy, use the money you have for the cause of Christ. Be a giver. Be generous. Be quick to share. But it's not just about money. If you have time, use that time for the cause of Christ. Use it to serve one another in the community. Not just in the walls of the church, but everywhere. Get involved in a community life group where you can encourage other people, where you can speak truth to other people, where you can serve with other people. But it's not just about time and energy. The scripture tells us that you have a gift. You have something the Holy Spirit has given you, an ability, something that God wants you to use for the betterment of the entirety of the body of Christ. The question is, are you doing it? The the reality is only you know whether your life is 100% about you or if it's about the Lord. Only you know if your, if your money, you know, it's not like harvest time is going to ask you, could you please show me your W-2 so I know how much to ask for you to give. I've, I've heard of churches doing that. We're not doing that. It's not about that. It's not about us having you turn in a timesheet so we know exactly how much time that you have to give to God. We believe that the Holy Spirit can inspire you and strengthen you and convict you about how you are to use your time, energy, and resources. Will you listen to the Holy Spirit and use things? Because Satan's going to tell you, oh, your gift is not important. Your, your little tithe is not important. Your, your little ability to pray for people, that's not important. And, and if he can convince a big chunk of people in the church to not use their gifts, to not serve, to sit there and just take in and not be able to give out, then he handicaps the church for its purposes on this earth. You're important. Your gift is important. How are you using your time, energy, and resources to build the kingdom of God? If you're interested in participating in a community life group to help discover that, call the office. We will get you plugged in somewhere where you can use your gift. And the reality is we truly believe that every one of us has a gift the Lord wants to use for his kingdom. Do you believe that? Four of you do. There's a lot more of you in here. Do you believe that you have a gift that can be used for the cause of Christ? Amen. The question is, will we use it? Will we do it? Or we will allow our life to continue to be about us. I pray that you'll surrender all of this stuff, your money, your time, your energy, your resources, everything to the cause of Christ, and just listen to his voice about how you should use it. Use it. Let's pray together. Father, your word is true. We believe it. Now I pray that through the power of your spirit that we will, we will do what it says. Will we plug into an area where we can use our gifts to encourage other people, to serve one another? Will we surrender our, our finances at the altar of your presence? Will we surrender everything to you and just ask how you want us to use it? I pray today that if there are things that we're holding back from you, 
that we will surrender them to you, Lord Jesus, and help us, help us to go and to give. Help us to be people who are generous with our time, energy, and resources for the cause of your kingdom. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray.